welcome to the Belford podcast. Uh, what you're going to hear today is AJ's talking shit to each other. Most likely it's going to be offensive, but uh, we don't care. Uh, today we have an AJ who, uh, or AX AJ, who actually learned something while he was serving. Uh, he served in Ramey for a number of years as a gun plumber and uh, has just recently discharged. His name is Daniel Moore, and I'm proud to have him on. Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Rayman, look retarded, act retarded. Not retarded. Count two picks, cheer cards. Autistic. Show. Not retarded. Ain't got time to hang. Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe. Braces on his legs. But he charmed the pants off next to him and he won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. And he was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes? You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. Alright, I think we're good to go. Yep. Yeah, beauty. Alright, uh, everybody, this is uh, Daniel, my neighbour. How you going, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Alex. Just uh, uh, living the dream, having a, having a beer. <laughs> yeah, we've both kept them in. Yep. Uh, Daniel lives next door to me, which is uh, lucky. And both our wives work in the medical industry, so we're both kept men at the moment. But, uh, yeah, what's been going on anyway, mate? Not a whole lot, mate. I've been uh, chasing a lot of uh, recognition of prior learning um, stuff for DVA and, and to try and get a bit of um, background behind me, um, civilian background, that is. Trying to transfer a lot of my military skills across to civilian. Um, yeah, definitely. I'd imagine you'd have a lot of skills that are a bit not uh, direct transfers, but when you look at them in the right right way, they uh, portray pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So they've actually come back and, and said oh, I'm eligible to get a cert- certificate four in business, which okay. which is excellent. I'd have no idea what I'm going to do with it, but <laughs> it's a start. Oh, that's and all right. You got to think every everything out there is a business of some sort. So if you've got an idea of how to run something, then yeah, exactly right. And and I'm hoping that I can even squeeze a a leadership and management certificate out of it, even if it's a cert one, cert two. Yeah, something I can I can build on. Yeah. Um. Did you do JLC when you were in? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I I was one of them guys that turned around and said were. no. Yeah. I don't want that. Oh, yeah, you didn't miss out on the course, but the certificate's not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that's and that's probably one of the the big things I did notice when I when I, I discharged that I I was missing a few of those little things like like the JLC course or sub one, um, whatever they want to call it. They ch- seem to change every couple of years. Yeah, that's it. And it next will be um, uh, peer appreciation yeah. and leadership. That'll be the new name for the course, but. Uh, some fuzzy cuddles name. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Gender pronoun, freaking correct. But um, nah, that's all right. Uh, I guess you why I got got you on here, mate. Is um, just want to talk about uh, what you did when you're in, what sort of the decisions you made to get yourself in, and uh, what you thought it was going to be, and what it turned out to be. Yeah, so I, I joined when I was nineteen. Um, well, I, I attempted to join when I, while I was still 18, but I had a 12-month wait um, on my enlistment, and it was sort of a spur-of-the-moment decision. I just met, met my now wife, Rachel. Um, we 
were doing quite well, but she had decided that she was going to go and move to Cairns and, and chase a bit of work up there, um, just in the retail industry. And I decided then I was going to join up and go spend a bit of time away. And yep, yep, she was supportive. Yeah, she was very supportive. Um, it was very hard. Uh, we hadn't you know, spent that much time apart, like most couples when they jo- first join. Um, it put a, put a bit of strain on, but... We got through it, and it was definitely for the best. Um, How long have you guys been married now? Or together? We've been together 10 years this year. Wow. So. That's all right. Yeah. You're doing pretty well. I don't know too many people who were uh, 18, and yeah. they, still have, well, they still have the partner that they had when they were 18. I sure as hell didn't. I don't think any girls wanted to talk to me when I was 18. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you get that. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, so you knew what you wanted to do enlisting? Well... I did know what I wanted to do, but they didn't offer it for another... They said it was an 18 to 24 month wait on what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to become Cav. Okay. Um, and I, I actually feel kind of happy that I didn't, didn't didn't go down that route because I I really enjoyed my time, you know, getting to know the boys in, in, in uh, Ramey. Yep, the yep. Royal Australian Mechanical and Electrical Engineers. Yep. Um... So just for uh, the listeners, uh, your role was? I was a fitter armourer. So I, I serviced um, all the small arms. Um, I was qualified to service anything up to a, uh, a mortar, an 81mm mortar. Um, make sure it was serviceable, um, repair it if it needed repairs. And I would do other equipment that didn't come under the roles of um, an auto electrician, a mechanic, or a radio technician type person. Okay, so like generators and small things like that? Or yeah, yeah, so I did a lot of the chainsaw, oh, gee, chainsaws. Chainsaws, yeah. um, pumps. Uh, I used to work, I did quite a bit of work on what they called cross country aviation pumps. Okay. So pumping aviation fuel up to 10, 15 k's away from the actual bunding, so the, the, the 10,000 litre bladders. Um, and just making sure that they weren't going to leak leak fuel into the ground and ensuring that, you know, when come time to refuel these choppers that were coming in from who knows where, that they were ready to go, ready yeah. to refuel on the ground. Um, and that wasn't what you initially wanted to do when you joined, or it was? That was that was the, the job they, they offer, ended up offering me, um, and I said, yep. Oh, sorry, you said CAV. Yeah. You wanted to do CAV. Yeah. Ended up doing CAV plumbing, yep. Yep, yep. yep. And... I mean, I, I wasn't upset about it because they told me I'd be doing everything with guns and I, I'm a bit of a gun nut, love guns. Um, loved my time working on, on all the weapons and seeing all the different stuff. Yep. Um, got to do quite a bit of interesting stuff. Got. No, I never deployed, unfortunately. Um, I say unfortunately because... Ah, pluses and minuses, mate. Yeah, you know. yeah. And that's the thing, like... Yeah, everyone everyone has their, their views on it. Um, you don't feel like you're uh, shortchanged by not deploying, or it doesn't feel like a uh, an empty sort of thing that you probably should have done when you're in. Yeah, definitely missed out. Definitely. Yeah. Um, feel like I let myself down and, and, and my mates down really not de- not deploying. I know it's not an actual thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it's not a rational thing that no. you can draw a line to, but you can still feel it however you want to feel. Like, yeah, 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 definitely. I can imagine that. And, um, you know, it wasn't any fault of my own or um, of, or of my, my 
staff they just chose more qualified personnel over me and people that they wouldn't need to train up straight away so yeah that's what it comes down to best being the right place at the right time and yeah um, exactly for so many people who serve they just weren't in that position i've been asked so many times are oh, you you know you're really lucky to deploy or really you must have been really good at your job but nothing to do with that it was just i was in the right unit at the right time and they were going over so i was going with them and that's pretty much how it worked yeah um and then the other question you get is, oh, can you say no? <laughs> yeah. And that's just like, you can if you want, but nobody bloody does because that's, you know, that's what you want to do. You want to deploy. But yeah. it's, it's a hard one to um, explain to people who aren't in. Yeah, and that's, and that's a, another thing. Like, um, I've got a good friend that I spend a lot of time with who's a civilian. He's, he always asks me, he's like, why do you feel like, why do you feel like that? And you know, I just always tell him, I'm like, the only way you can kind of compare it to anything is training all year for the grand final in a football match and never getting to play yeah. never getting a run on never getting a mention in the side kind of thing yeah. let's say you're playing for the A grade A grade teams in, in the NRL and you never get a run on but at the same time I did some did some awesome stuff like yeah I got to I went to into a non, non-deployable role um, at my last unit and you know, got to look after some pretty awesome equipment and um, do direct support to overseas from Australia. Yeah. Which I mean, I get to go home every night to my wife and yeah, support while, while making sure all the equipment I'm sending over to guys overseas is good, is to, go. good to go. And you know, that that was a pretty good feeling. Well, that's it for every every guy that's on the ground, for every combat soldier who's overseas. There's got to be at least ten people behind that one soldier that are keeping the ball rolling like there's so much involved in enabling that soldier to do his job it's yeah it's undervalued and especially inside the army um i think people don't uh look upon it as being important but um everybody sort of sees oh you got this gong you got that gong well it doesn't really mean shit you could be in a blanket folder sitting at tk who fucking barely even looked over the wire yeah and you still got the same gongs as old mate who got his leg blown off so exactly right um and that don't mean shit but yeah no as long as you can i don't know as long as you can look at yourself and go okay the position i was in was i doing a good job you know and that's all you can do yeah yeah and that's and that's what i tried to do like i i just thought every every single day when i went in i'm like well you know who's gonna be stepping out the door with this weapon potentially and and everyone had their own assigned weapon, and I said, "Well, I want to go click and bang before someone else, before the bad guys do." Yeah. I don't want them to sit there trying to pull the trigger, and it doesn't, it doesn't go bang. Oh, that's it. That's a huge, yeah. That's it. That's a hugely important thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. Weapon system. And I, I mean, I might have been a bit too too meticulous sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, they. I was actually praised for the kind of. Not being, not being overlooking the small finite details. Yeah, which yeah. was which felt good. But, yeah, definitely. You know, as only being it, Connie still young. I'm only twenty eight. Yeah, and um, still young, man. Yeah, still young. <laughs> and uh, being in charge of such a kind of large um, equipment roster as well, we had about six hundred, six hundred rifles in spread across two armories and um, being in charge of that was quite a, a large uh, stressor 
I would so, imagine. But at the same time, highly, highly, highly rewarding. Was uh, some of the best fuck ups you've seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So we um we had an M4, and uh, they cracked the magazine housing. And okay. I, I still to this day have no idea how they managed it, <coughs> but they split the magazine housing, and yeah. it's all car it's all cast aluminium and all milled to perfect to pe- perfection. And the only only way I can even imagine it happening is they wedged a screwdriver in between the magazine and the housing and levered the housing away from the magazine. Yeah, so they might have got the mag jammed in there somehow. I, I, uh, you'd yeah. think so. You'd yeah. But it was a um, a high readiness weapon as well, so it was meant to be getting ready to go overseas. And then when I grounded that one, they weren't happy at all. But yeah, yeah, I couldn't send them over with that because it was it was nearly a catastrophic failure. Yeah, yeah. Um, have seen a catastrophic failure where a um, F eighty eight ejected a firing pin through the butt plate and into the armor of a, a shooter. Lucky. Jesus. Lucky he was wearing armour. So it fired <laughs> it and fired, shot the firing pin and backwards. The, and the firing pin sheared and came out came out through the butt plate. Wow. Mm. That's impressive. Oh, it was it was amazing. Tried doing that twice. I know. And well, the other one was they a live round got stuck in stuck backwards into a barrel. <laughs> in in a F eighty nine mini mine. Oh, okay. I have no idea how it happened. So it came through the belt. Come through the belt, and it somehow has. I, I think they've op- opened it while still firing, and then closed it, or they've done something funky. Yeah. And it's gone in, gone in backwards, just and, just fold, and just folded the round and jammed Jesus. everything up. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of funky stuff, especially with guns. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some funky stuff, like people taking gaskets off on on fuel fuel pumps and pumping three three and a half thousand liters of uh, aviation fuel down a drain. Oh, special drain, I should yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not just a drain. Yep. Not just a, yeah, not just a stormwater drain. It was uh, in a in a proper fuel farm in a testing facility. Um, but still, that's three and a half thousand liters of fuel they're not going to use ever again. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, that's not cheap stuff. Yep. Highly explosive stuff. I've seen blokes try and start welding on that equipment as well, and oh, without shit. certifying it, certifying it. And oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. A lot of, lot of. Uh, Mistakes were made, but yep. at the same time, you've got to learn somehow, don't you? Yeah, that's it. Um, we'll go a little bit uh, further back. Uh, what sort of schooling did you have? Um, what sort of led you up to the point that made you want to join the army? So I remember when I was about about 13 or 14 years old, I was, I was in high school and um, we got the opportunity to go to Embley Air Force Base and only two, two of us took the opportunity, me and a friend, and he wanted to join the Air Force, I wanted to join the Army, and they had people of both... Did he Did he want to be more than friends, or...? Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> Sorry, mate, no, keep going. No, it's all good. You know, and it's Chris. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so he um, he went up there, and, and you know, it, it ended up... He, he tried, tried to go for it, but he had a... Uh, medical condition where he he couldn't eventually get in um it wasn't anything severe it was just snoring and, and sleepwalking so yeah jeez you meant to lie about that bullshit I, I, that's what I said to him as well I'm yeah. like every, every, every bloke snores when they're tired enough it's fine yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And um, so we, we, I got talking to uh, an army officer and a couple of the Air Force um, uh, non-commissioned officers and, and stuff and, and, you know, trying to get a feel for the life. And, and of course, they sold it as something beautiful and, uh, yeah, and yeah. awesome. And, you know, in the life of an officer, it probably is. But it, um, so from right from that day dot, it was just nothing that's, but war movies and yep. all that kind of stuff. Like that's what I was doing. That's what I was destined to do. I was destined to join up and you know live my life in the army. Yep. Yeah. So did you finish school? I did. I went right through to year twelve because my parents, my mother, always said you have to go through to year twelve because what if this doesn't happen? You yep. have to you have to have a backup plan. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I don't want a backup plan. This is the only plan. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I was very lucky to have that drive from my mother. Yeah. Um, uh, surprising. Even like I did, I, had, I was in the same boat. My parents, especially my mum, thought that the year twelve thing was bigger than Ben Hur, and that's all that really mattered. Even though I did absolutely shockingly because I didn't want to be there and I didn't give a crap, but. In saying that, it probably got me a few jobs and all that, just having that year 12 thing. So yeah, it's yeah. better than leaving a year 10 and going and working at Macca's, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, she already told me she wasn't going to sign off for me to go as a young early. <laughs> so, you know, she as long as she told me that, I, I knew I had to wait. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, made that made that phone call the, the year after I graduated school and had to wait those, those 12 to 11 to 12 months and... Yep. And by that stage, I was, I was a 19-year-old going in fresh-faced and... <laughs> Not and, having uh, a clue what you're in for. Oh, no. Yeah. Yep. Stepping off that bus that first day and they're, <laughs> all, they're all screaming at you and you're like, oh, God, what have I done? Can yep. I just get back on? Yep, yep. No, that's the other. Yeah, no. But it was pretty much a grey man throughout Kapooka and yep. up until the last, last kind of... Three or four weeks when they decided to start kind of looking for the grey men and yep. arcing up at them and, you know, just kind of plotting my way through. So it's pretty straightforward through Kapuka and, yeah. and then off to Amberley. Or um, not Amberley, um, Albury. Yeah, yeah, so down in Latford Barracks and that was that was good. That was interesting. Um, thinking that I was in the real army, but I, I definitely wasn't. I was just back into another training establishment. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then finished my trade trade training there. Went up to do on the job training. Uh, that was start of twenty fourteen. Okay, so how long did you spend at Albury? Uh, about two years. Yeah, yeah, about, about just uh, just over two years. Um, so they really rush you through everything. They give you tight time frames to try and get you into that army mode of you know working quick um, because not a lot of people realise that. Uh, our core is one of the only cores that tracks how many hours it's worked for and has, has to account for a certain number of hours a week okay. of actual uh, production time. Okay. Um, I think it's like it's nothing huge. It's nothing like you would get in, in the civilian land. It's only like 16 hours of work per, per week. And that's, mixed in, that's not mixed in with all your um, army administrations, all your briefings you have to go to your Thursday dress parades and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. that 16 hours to, is, is to account for all that other stuff that happens. Okay. Um, and that's... So it was it was quite interesting um, learning all the different bits and pieces 
would have no clue what I'm doing on machines these days. <laughs> you lost. I lost a lot of. You lose a lot of skills. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's the ability to um, look at something and figure out a solution is what they're really teaching you. Yeah. Um, and just the idea that things can be done differently, like. Uh, I don't know, you don't have to be the world's best welder to know that to connect two bits of metal together, you've got to weld it. You know, yeah. you can work on it from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that and that was a lot of it as well. Like, they, um, I guess that's why they rushed a lot of it as well. But then we went out and, and they start, stick you in um, civilian workshops as well as army workshops. So you change every month when you're doing all the job training and it's, it, it, it kind of messed with how you perceive the army workshops um, because you're going there for a month and you know they might be all happy and and treating you really well that month because they're not outfield and they're not and they don't have any work on they so they're happy that you're going out and you're playing volleyball every day you're doing you're not doing doing much because they haven't got much on yep. or they're waiting for parts um, and then other days like other months you'd go to a very high tempo workshop and you'd you wouldn't get you, you wouldn't have a name you'd be Audrey okay get yeah. over here do this <laughs> yeah. it was a rite of passage but yeah you just when you get your first posting after that you just don't know what to expect yeah yeah I'd imagine it'd be similar to uh, in the cab world you're a Rio or a lid and you're like that's your first year yeah you know you're the you're the shit kicker and until somebody else comes along and you can call them the shit kicker <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're not the shit kicker anymore so that's just the way it works. But. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what that's what you have to like. You have to realise after a certain amount of time, like you're not you're not a person to these these people that um, are looking trying to look after you. You're a tool for them to use for yep. a month, oh, yeah. which is fine. Yep. It's as long as you know where you stand, mm. you know what to do. I mean, we I remember going to a. Uh, engineering place here in Brisbane um, and being treated like absolute garbage like an yeah. actual civilian workshop and they seen all army apprentices as the lowest of the low lower than their own apprentices yeah so we weren't allowed to touch machines we weren't allowed to touch yeah. tools welders or anything you gotta wonder why they were sending people there at all what? from what we heard it was that they were friends with the uh, with, with yeah. our boss yeah, yeah. so they were getting free free, free labour pretty much to clean their workshops. Yeah, that's but no surprise, is it? Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of back back backdoor deals like that as well. Yeah, yeah. You want to? I guess you always want to look after your mates. Yep. But yeah, definitely. At the expense of people. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's always um always that shit going on. Yeah. Uh, what sort of leadership did you have? Was it? Positive or negative? <laughs> so I, I come from two different um, leadership spots. When I was posted to a unit out at Amberley, um, I clashed with the leadership quite often. Um, coming straight off um, my trainees, on-the-job trainee um, kind of period of time, they saw me as the lowest low, and I had I had a few new ideas on how to do things but they would never take the information off me. So I always had to get someone else to sign their name to the information. They would then conduct those plans. Like yeah. I remember doing a, um, a dot point brief on why we should change uh, the weapon brackets in the Mac art trucks. And did up the designs, did up the brief, 
included all the drawings, got rejected about six times, and then didn't change. Went back to the first one, got someone else to put their name to it, and it got approved. And I remember, yeah. I remember that, and I remember thinking it's just because, just because they think I'm young and dumb, and you know, yeah, new guy, yeah. I need to be taught taught a lesson, taught to pull, to pull my head in, really. Yeah, yeah, that'll leave a sour taste in your mouth, and. If you stay in that unit, you're probably never going to get over it, are you? Like, or never yeah. until that leadership moves on. Yeah, and that leadership didn't move on until I moved on. So we just clashed heads the whole time. And I remember, I remember refusing to buy PT shirts because he he wanted me to. <laughs> and I went through the army dress manual and wore exactly what I was meant to wear. And eventually, he just snapped and and. <laughs> blow up at me one day in front of everyone and I'm like oh okay and then one of the other guys one of my corporals came in and and gave me a PT shirt and said it's easier on him yeah I didn't realise how much trouble I was causing him yeah and if I had a known to start off with I probably wouldn't have done it yeah yeah sometimes those little victories they're worth it but then there's consequences and you don't always realise the knock on effects yeah I mean, I definitely wasn't the only person he treated like that. We had a a young female mechanic who he refused to send on any courses. I mean, she was on to her third posting by that stage. Yeah, so she'd done a bit of time. She'd done a bit of time. She hadn't had a a sub sub one or JLC, whatever they want to call it. Um, She hadn't done any kind of uh, pay rise courses or anything because her last rank was exactly the same. Very chauvinistic very yeah. old school you know it's a man's job kind of thing to be yeah. a mechanic yeah. um, which I've seen I've had quite a few uh, really good uh, female leaders in in Rainey um, and just just to know like see how she was treated and you know she just she discharged because of it ah that's bullshit yeah yeah, it was, yeah that's it like as much as um you know, I don't think the direction that the army's heading with the whole females run the world sort of deal that they got going yes. on. Um, I'm still a firm believer in just because uh, I don't know the best way to put it, but it's a case by case thing. Yep. Um, it's like saying, oh, inf- females are as good at infantry as males. Well, that's a load of shit if you look at all females and all males. But yep. then I can guarantee you that there's chicks out there who would be better grunts than Some of the other a lot of the grunts yeah. that are in. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's a case-by-case thing. So that's exactly the same. There's no reason why a female can't be a good mechanic. Then they're saying that. Are all females going to be good mechanics? No. no. Are all males going to be no good mechanics? No. no. <laughs> exactly right. It's just, yeah. Then, yeah. Then that's how, and that's the way they need to look at it. Um, yeah. I don't know. And yeah. she, was, she was very lucky. Like, at the end of her time, she... Um, one of the one of our CSMs ended up being a mechanic and knew her work, and he ended up putting her on a trip, and she was very lucky to get a trip, but yeah. she never got anything else out of it. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, he put her on there to say, "Look, I know you do good work." Yeah, and you know that was very disheartening to see. Um, oh, it's bullshit. Some of the yeah. some of the biggest bags of shit that I knew going going overseas and yeah. I'm not talking from my core alone, like transport core. I knew no. a few big bags of shit in that, and yeah, that's it. Like I said, with CAV, with my units, you pretty much if you're a part of that unit, part of the right squadron at the time, yep. you're going exactly. If you could pass a BFA, 
and the combat fitness assessment combat, yeah. done. And even, um, uh, what was the OF6? I yep. think you had to pass it. I remember saying guys fail it. Yep. And because the CSM or the SSM failed it, it all got sort of washed down to the carpet and uh, what do you know, everyone's gone. Yep. <laughs> so, turns out that it was a good operator. It couldn't hit the side of a barn with a friggin' 84, but like, yeah, could shoot it as low, no worries. Yeah. So, totally different sort of thing, but yeah, so... Um, you can be still be a bag of shit. <laughs> yeah, on deployment, yeah, yep. or, or on courses for that for that matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I remember, you know, I remember being on. I went on a course, and the course I ever got was uh, a support weapons course, and I remember going on that, and and you know, oh, it's just gone on the end. That's right. I'll edit that out. Yeah, well, good. Get rid of all those racist comments that I had to delete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're talking about that. Uh, Life support weapon that you did, the course did. Oh, yep, yep. The the sport weapons course. Sport weapons. Um, yeah, yeah. We had a mixture of guys on that as well. I mean, like like you said, you get them everywhere. Yeah. Um, the good with the bad, but most of the most of the guys I mixed with were pretty pretty decent operators. Um, you know, like you, I think we talked about it uh, offline before, and and. You know, some blokes are getting mixed in the wrong wrong crowd, and yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, there's definitely that element in the army that you're like they got other other intentions and shit, and always you stay away from those fuckwits. And yeah, yeah. Um, they tend they tend to be your shit operators anyway, and um, yeah, yeah, they sort of wean themselves out at the end of the day, don't they? Yeah, I remember helping um helping a friend move out and having moving moving all his glassware. He's pretty much his cook lad. Oh, and uh, I didn't. I was so naive at the time. I didn't realize what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still pretty young and didn't realize why his wife left him or anything <laughs> until until someone asked me if uh, I'd heard that he'd been kicked out for for drug use, and I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, that's what I've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just uh, young and dumb, and oh, we've all been there, mate. Fucking oh, mate. Why is that dude chewing his face off? Yeah, he's really happy. <laughs> he's really happy. <laughs> He's, he's nice and bright for being awake for the last 28 hours. Yeah, yeah, I had no uh, idea. I was just a fucking a, uh, innocent little country boy when I joined, so yeah. I had no idea. But um, yeah, it doesn't take long to, or after a little while, you figure it out. You <laughs> figure stay it out, stay away from. <laughs> yeah, that was always the always the good part. Yep. Trying to figure out uh, at a new unit who to stay away from. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And the guy when he when he. I mean, you'd see him drink a carton at the boozer and then rock up the next morning not even hung over and yeah, and you're like, right. okay, I'm staying away from you, mate. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. All the sergeants who were freaking, their wife left them and it's yeah. too late for them to change careers or whatever. And, and they're so depressed and angry. Yeah, yeah yep. seen a fair share of them. Yep. Uh, I think that was one of my reasons for getting out was I didn't want to, be one of them to start off with but um, I was at that age where it was like okay do you, you start looking at promotion and making a real career of it yep. you know being a sergeant you know, down that or do um, do I go I'll stuff this and try something else and that's what I thought I was like I'll give something else a go I, was, I think I was 30 when I got out did you ever think about trying something else in the army yeah um, until I met my partner yeah um I was looking at transferring to Techalec. I wanted to do oh, that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, but because I didn't do physics in year ten, um, I was having a few issues with my transfer. Stupid. Uh, it's it stupid, a, isn't it? Yeah, that would definitely stop me from being able to do the job. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't transfer straight away when I was looking at transferring, and um, did another deployment instead. And uh, 
and I met my partner just before before I went on the trip and yeah when I got home I got out and yep. didn't want to put her through all the rubbish that you have to put your partner through when you're in the army yeah yeah and I think that was probably another another stretch on, on mine and Rachel's relationship is I remember rocking up to work one morning and telling her that I was going going out field for I think it was three weeks this time and then rocking up to work and they hadn't booked enough buses and so they told us just be prepared for the next three weeks to go out field at one point yeah and you know she's trying to live her life and and deal around me and you know she wasn't expecting me to come come home that night yeah. <laughs> i came home and and you know it's it's that was a good good time but then we rocked up to work later on that week and they're like okay you're going out field yet field today yeah and yeah that's crap or, think, or the lock-ins like the lock-ins were probably the worst <laughs> yeah yeah we don't want you just to drink or do anything stupid so we're gonna lock you on base and then you drink and do something stupid yeah because so. <laughs> everyone had some, everyone had stuff hidden yeah that's it, like, that's it I remember being in at the apprentice school and sitting there one it was my first first year in, in kind of on base in this place I remember sitting there and someone coming around knocking on the door and one bloke tried to run out of his room to tell me not to open the door and I opened it and I remember about six naked guys running in with nerf guns <laughs> and they were pissed as parrots and just shooting around with nerf guns and running out the other door because we had two entr- an entrance and an exit and yeah. oh, it was just I was probably the most shocked I've ever been in my life I'm like what just happened yeah. and it just turns out that's what happens when you get locked in yeah, you get yeah. locked locked in for a week, so you just run amok and and you decide to teach them a lesson, <laughs> locking you in. Yeah, it doesn't end well, does it? No, no. Yeah. All right. Um, have a talk about why you discharged or what led you up to your discharge. Yeah. So, um, I I was injured in 2016. Um, felt a click in the front of my shoulder and thought I'd just kind of done a minor injury and and paid it off and kept kind of pushing through um what i'd actually done is dislocated my shoulder and um torn uh had a labral tear and done torn my pec uh torn the muscle that runs from the neck down to the shoulder uh and also done damage to my rotator cuff and um so I, i did quite a bit of damage there um didn't really get the care that I should have. Yep. Um, probably part to, partly to do with me saying I think I've just done a minor injury, but also you know medical professionals probably should have pushed a bit harder to get it looked at a bit sooner. Yeah. Um, it was it was two and a half months, nearly three months before I even had an X-ray. Um, uh, yeah. So by that stage, everything was starting to knit back together but not correctly um scar tissue was building building up in the wrong place and um building up where it where it shouldn't and now it's um creating like a a nerve pain so so what could have been a minor could have been injury turned into something pretty major yeah and you know countless mris um you know, they they said they seen dye leaking through the front when they when they stabbed me with a needle in the back and <laughs> all yeah. this kind of stuff. You know, I, in my eyes, it, 
I'm not a trained medical professional, but in my eyes, I thought it could have been handled a bit better. Yeah. Um, and that just started me on that long road to kind of that medical discharge path. Um, I was very lucky that I was able to post out of the unit at Ambly where I injured myself um, and go to a better unit that had a lot more uh, control on their welfare and control over uh, rehabilitation. Um, so it, what, uh, what unit did you go to? I went to the 1st Intelligence Battalion. Oh, yeah. yeah and so. they, were, they were excellent. Yeah. Bit of a smaller Ramey presence, I'd imagine. Yeah. With, there was only about six of us there to yeah. start off with. Um, they tried to bolster their numbers because they're building their equipment up. Um, I kept getting young young apprentices in to help me out. And I you know, got to lead and teach and yeah. Yeah. Um, ran my own work group in that, in that sense. But... Eventually, it came time to. They they said, you know, I could give them back restricted service. Um, it's essentially, where you lose your service allowance, and you get to keep your job. Okay. But so they take that that ten grand or whatever service allowance off you. Yeah, because you'll you, you'll never be deployed. You never oh, go okay. field. You never do course. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm young enough where I can retrain. I, I want to want to have a job with career progression. I want to yeah, be. Yeah, I don't want to be the, the lowest of low anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, stuff that. Yeah. So you know, I hang, I hung on pretty much till the last last chance I could get, and um, it ended up getting a bit bit too too hard. And I was I was put onto half days. Um, it was starting to kind of mess with my home life. Like I, I I'd come home from work and I'd given work everything that I had and I couldn't do anything around the house on the weekend yeah um and it was just the mental toll more than yeah anything. yeah the mental toll like the fit the physical toll was taking the mental toll yeah and it was just it just clicked in my head it was just time like and as much as I say it was time it was never an easy decision it was never a easy process um still to this day I'm like well, what if I had just taken that restrictive service? You know, I'd still have a job. I'd still have that, you know, that chance to continue on with my service. Um, and you'd still have that army life, like all the, your mates that you have when you're in. Yeah, 100%. Um, and that's, I think, yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, you lose more than just a job when you leave. Yeah. Um, it's a loss of identity as well yeah, as yeah. a loss of, um, I wouldn't say loss of mates, it's just that, we live two different lives now. Yeah. You can't expect them to no. sort of be on the same path as you when they're, or same roster as you when they're, they don't know what their roster is, you know? Yeah, exactly. I know and, I, and I remember that. Yeah. I remember what it's like. And yeah, it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. Like that's, that's the hard, one of the hard parts. Um, and, and that sense of, you know, purpose coming from that battalion and, and, having that responsibility to my friends, to all the guys that we, we were sending overseas, we were, we were sending, you know, anywhere in the world, like just knowing that I was the one to send them out the door with the right kit. The bloke who's there now is excellent in his job. Yeah. Like, but, you know, there was never that guarantee that they were going to get that, that same kind of personality that I am in, yeah. in taking that, that pride in their work, it was hopeful, and they were very lucky to get someone that was very similar to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. You feel that uh, sense of responsibility. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I know what you mean there. Just mm. that uh, you're sort of leaning down the unit to a certain degree and the... The, the guys at the unit. And, yeah, yeah, that's it. So. Yeah, and then, you know, you don't, you don't want to think like that. You don't want to think that you are letting them down as such, but... Yeah, and like rationally, they're not going to think that. No, you know, and you know they're not going to think that, but you still feel that, you know. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it's another one of them irrational thoughts. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, I guess the next question is: is dealing with discharge? I know for me it was hard. Um, well, it's not so much that it was hard; it's just it's harder than what you think it's going to be. I think. Yeah, it's it's still a challenge every day. Like, and I discharged in September last year, and yeah. I'm still. Like, I want to have that job with that purpose again, but I don't think I will have that for quite a while. And, no, that's, that's, and that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm sitting sitting here thinking, you know, I've, I'm lucky to, to get the, the business certificates and, you know, the support that I do get um, through DCO and DVA and um, a couple of other organisations. Like, with you with me is excellent like they've got okay. quite a few courses on there that you can go through and they they have people that will assign you jobs so what are they called again? with you with me okay um yeah if you yeah, show them on google later yeah, and, yeah definitely but they i've set up a little profile of them and um i haven't really worked through much of their stuff but i've heard great things and um yeah. i've only started their really started their kind of pre-course stuff and yeah um I guess there are, there are a lot of those um, support systems out there that are there, but um, I know I'm guilty of sort of looking at them with a, um, a jaded perspective. Oh, 100%. <laughs> to a lot of uh, yeah. those sort of systems. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely say that I didn't have a positive experience with um, the RSLs. Um, yeah, no, they're rubbish. <laughs> with the RSL, they have their own little trade programs and stuff and you know I got referred through to them and they turned around to me and said oh no you've already got trade certificates we can't do anything for you and I'm like well I can't work in my trade anymore yeah. I'm on medication I'm on like I've I've got an injury I can't do heavy lifting anymore yeah so you so, need to retrain it or you need to start again so yeah yeah and yeah but I didn't want, I, I just didn't want to fight with the the RSLs anymore like I had some I've heard some really good things about some delegates and I've heard some really bad things and, you know, I, I kind of fell in the middle there and had some yeah. bad and some good. and Yeah, that's it. I think me and you both have um, come back to the self-education rather than getting a delegate to do it for you. Yeah, 100%. Like, um, just been lucky enough that one, I knew you and I knew another fella and um, uh, to push me in the right direction because I made all the wrong mistakes at the start. I did it all. I took, I took the advice from guys like delegates in the RSL and yep. um, it put me by them for a lot of years yeah it just uh, didn't really get me anywhere didn't didn't get me any assistance in uh, the way of professional help <laughs> just to sort of deal with some of the shit I was going through yeah um, and yeah so it's what you learn the hard way but I think it's might hopefully it's getting a bit better now yeah yeah and definitely the the whole thing of um, you know people being able to do it themselves like it was it was very daunting going walking into the the, de the delegates office with all my my medical records and you know I don't know this person from yeah, a bar of soap and feel like you could have justified to them how and, and yeah. why I, why I deserve it and yeah which is bullshit like and yeah. and well when I was going in there you know I didn't deploy I didn't 
I, all I hurt, all I did was hurt myself at PT, and yeah. I didn't feel like I, I deserved it. Nah. I, I, I mean, right now I'm, I'm sitting here like, thank God I've got it. Yeah. But at that time I was, I was sitting there like, you know. You got your pride you've got to worry about. Yeah. The rest. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you freaking airdropped into fucking Iraq and shot Saddam and just saying in the fucking face. You're still gonna find someone else who deserves it more than you. Exactly. And even like I felt that all my mates are exactly the same. We all did exactly the same shit, but we all look at each other and go, oh, "That guy did way more than I did, or yep. he deserved more than me, or whatever." And um, and that's what I do. I look at my mates and I'm like, like yourself. I was like, well, you know, you deserve it more than I do. Yeah. You deployed. Like you've you've got that step above me. You've got yeah. x amount x amount of points that. Like it's 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 like a scoring it's, system in your head, but it's it's not real. Yeah, and that's. I think if you if you are coming from the position of I deserve this, then you you're on the wrong foot to start off with. Yeah, yeah, so, um, definitely. I think it's probably a healthy healthy thing to feel to say, um, yeah, I don't deserve. It. It's not healthy, but I think it's a natural thing to feel that. Just to even have that little, even that instant of kind of you know what am I what am I doing, like that that first self-doubt but as long as someone like I was I was pulled aside by my my CO of my last unit and and he was the one that really drove me to um, put in my claims and he was the one that that you know put me on that path yeah and to have someone you know so high up that, that felt like they cared yeah it was really Kind of, it got to me, and, and it was like, yeah. okay, you know, this this person is human. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not just that that one big figurehead. Yeah, oh, it's easy to write. To, like we all talk shit about our leadership and our OCs, our CEOs, all that, and we normally don't like them and all that. Yep. <laughs> but at the end of the day, when they say something to you, you tend to listen and tend to mean a lot. So um, it was good that he he actually had somebody there who could say that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, especially you know him. Pulling me aside one on one, and talking about his experiences with it, and and hearing you know someone else has had negative experiences as well with the RSLs, and them just saying, "Look, just get it in, no matter what. Like, doesn't matter how you get it in, just get it in." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and hearing that, and then also my I had an excellent DBA delegate. Um, she was amazing. Like, yeah went above and beyond and you know it's that that person that's got that in that that direct contact to you you know might not be the person who's approving it yeah but it's that person who's talking that works for dva that that is saying okay this is what you need to do next or this is what we're waiting on yeah and yeah because that's it otherwise i know from personal experience it's you don't hear shit (laughs) from dva like it's like oh yeah we've been waiting for this for six months from you but um you know, we, we didn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, we sent we sent you an email that probably went to your junk email because it came from a numbered email address. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. My ones were going to the uh, MyGov account for a little while, but not coming yeah. to my actual email. And yep. How often do you check your MyGov email inbox? Yeah. You know. Like, exactly. So, yeah, I know that was all a bit but, of a load. But yeah, so that was, and when you're going to discharge, and especially with medical discharge, you don't hear anything from ComSuper until I think it. I think I got got mine like six days before I discharged. Okay. Um, so I didn't know what kind of whether I was going to get a pension or not. I didn't know whether I was 
entitled entitled to DVA's pension until Com Super came back and said yes or no or so it was it, a lot of stress. It was a lot of stress. Um, I was very lucky that my my wife was working at the time. Yep. Um, and you know, like at that at that stage when it comes down to it, I sat there and I'm like, well, you know, I'll put my put my body back at risk and I'll go get a job doing anything like. Yeah, you do what you got to do when it comes to it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and you know, it all it all worked out in the end, which is great. But I just I, f- I feel for the guys that you know have the three kids and the and the wife who's looking after the kids and they're getting medically discharged or they're discharging and and their job offer falls through at the last second. Um, oh, yeah. Even though they've signed signed on with the company technically. Yep. And you know I've seen it a few times now, and they've got a try and make ends meet until um, something else comes up yeah yeah. and then they'll get uh, Department of uh, Defence Housing Association um, will come through and say oh your gutters aren't clean enough and then charge them $2,000 for that until they've cleaned their gutters yeah, and they'll sure. take it out of the last pay and then reimburse them six weeks later yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I mean like seeing that like that yeah it's pretty disheartening yeah um, I think DVA and DHA is another whole thing. Yeah. Um, they've got a lot to answer for. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think it's hopefully getting better. I think they're all shitting themselves at the moment with the whole Royal Commission thing going yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's going to make people think twice about the decisions they make. Yeah, definitely. I think though, it's, it's, it is a hard job to do. But um, yeah, just because it's hard, it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it properly. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's pretty funny. I know uh, back when we got uh, we got home from a deployment and um, a lot of the unit was, well, not a lot of the unit, but some of the fellas in the unit were sort of taking the piss on the um, psych claims and that. And no doubt some of them were legit. Yeah. No doubt. But there was yeah. other ones that you could tell a mile away. They could see the dollar signs and um, they would cash in on it. So you've got to be able to siphon out those fellas. Yeah. Which is very hard to do. Um, <laughs> a good mate of mine stood up in a uh, leadership meeting, which was pretty much the OC, all the rank in the entire unit at 3-4, and um, blatantly said, send all those weak cunts down there. I don't want to work with fucking any of them. <laughs> that was pretty much the attitude. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's what you've got to deal with. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of embedded into you from day one. If someone has an injury, you always have to question it. Like, that's what I found as well. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, yeah, it, the lingon line. Yeah. You know, PT, yeah. who's got a chip, you know? Yeah. And you, you never look at them like they've got a legit injury. injury. No. You just think they're either hungover or just being a weak kind or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't look at them as if they're, oh, they might be, might have a headache that morning. Like, they might not. They might just be like, "Oh, look, mate, I've got a got a migraine. It'll it'll pass in in an hour's time." You know, they might be hungover, but <laughs> yeah, yes. I think that's bred into you in the army. Isn't yeah, it? you just look at it. Be suspect of everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you look at everyone as they as if they they're there lying and they're and they're weak. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I know I used to do it. I know people used to do it to me, and it it, it irks you a little bit. But then you can sit, I can also see where they come from. Yeah. I'm, I used to, I still used to see it, 
I used to look at people when I was injured, coming up with the other injured people, and be like, "You haven't got a real injury. Get out of here." <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's and it. I mean, it's yeah, Absolutely. it's probably not the right attitude to have, but at the same time, yeah, we're we're meant to be doing a, a, a kind of a job where you push through the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. It's um, I guess a good bit of give and take. Um, it should be yourself. Um, during parts of my career, it was um had the pride to you know look after my fitness or whatever and i would um you know it made pt a lot easier and all that but i can feel for the guys who are struggling at the best of times and yeah you know an easy way out for them is to get in that linger line and oh yeah um, and get out of shit yeah <laughs> which unfortunately isn't the answer but um that happens doesn't it yeah and 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 that's the thing like and that's that's where a lot of people look at it as you know he's just unfit yeah, and he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to better himself. Yeah, you know. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. So what? Uh, now you're out. Um, what are your plans? What have you penciled in anyway? Uh so I haven't. Well, I haven't really penciled anything in with this uh, COVID going around. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I've been looking into um, sales jobs. Uh, yeah. Just something completely different. Um, and when I say sales, I mean like a representative selling to a like a wholesale buyer kind of thing. Um, yeah, like a sales rep. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, I think it'd be a good change of pace, yep. um, but also still a challenge that I need to meet the targets. Um, I've had to meet targets in the past. I've had to deal with customers in the past. Um, I've had to deal with outside agencies in the past and try and get every, all of those things to... Um, meet up so I'm, I'm i'm hoping to bring across my experience to that field yeah um i think it i think it will be a massive change yeah uh i did look at in, going into another civilian defense type industry but i think i just want to step away from defense for a while yeah i think it's um if i go back to that kind of industry i will probably become a very bitter person. Yeah, definitely. You'd be jaded and look at it in the same light that you looked at it when you're in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it probably even just a few years away from it will yeah. probably and then if you do come back to it then you'll look at it in a lot fresher set of eyes. I think I think that's that's exactly right. Um, so I've been looking at a lot of that and pretty much anything that can do with bettering uh, a business. I like I like to do what they call non non monetary valuating to businesses. Um, you know, building up their reputation of uh, a certain certain company. Uh, I used to like to do it with our, our last battalion. I used to um, talk to intergovernment agencies and, you know, get organised a lot of projects to kind of meet up and uh, be worked on by my team, but, you know, for the, for the other government agency. Okay. And... You know that, that that made us look extremely good in their eyes, and then they wanted to come keep, keep coming back to us, and then they referred us to other people. Yeah. So because, reputation building. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't mind doing something like that, but I think it's always going to come back to the sales because you know that is the where the job market is at the moment. Yep. Um, especially seeing as hopefully seeing as COVID's calming down. Yeah. Well. Um yeah, you've had a, a particularly unique um, 
exposure to COVID with your partner. Yeah. Uh, working in the hospital. Yeah. So Rachel works in um, in theatre, in, in in surgeries, um, assisting the anaesthetist put people to sleep, and you know it's been a very stressful time for her. Yeah. Um, learning all new kind of PPE uh, practices, and then also trying to not really assert an authority, but she felt felt as though they were, were taking a little bit too relaxed there at one stage, and you know the boss wasn't on the floor as often, so not she taking it seriously, sort of thing. She ended up getting very stressed out one day, and then kind of sitting there in a meeting and saying, "No, we need we need more more supervision over these tasks, and we need people delegated to actually teach and learn these these tasks." And you know, she's not a very uh, like she's assertive, but she's not she's not very outspoken. No. Which was which was quite um, quite different for her and and you know she was under an immense amount of pressure to even think about doing that. So yeah, yeah, she's very was, introvert, isn't she? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she doesn't like to doesn't like to rock the boat. She yeah. doesn't like confrontation. But this it just got too much for her, yeah. and she just couldn't couldn't do it anymore, and just had to put down put the foot down and say no, it's not it's not running right. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> which was excellent. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I dare, I dare say her superiors at her work will um, take note of it at least, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. But I mean, it's been a stressful time for them all. I mean, they would have had things to think about as well. And Yeah, not to mention the fact, you know, what if I, what if she gets COVID, you know, that's got to be on yeah. her mind. Like, oh, yeah. Well, exposure, of, you know, all yep. that. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about that. Um, I drive her to work quite often and, you know, she said... If she gets exposed, there's a good chance I'll I'll be exposed before she knows it. Yeah. And then, I mean, she's had to work on work on patients with COVID and and all that kind of stuff. So she's been in the room directly with with patients with COVID. And and um, on those days, she she would drive herself if she knew she had a patient with it. And she come home and all her clothes would go straight into the into the laundry and yeah. into into a wash and. She'd shower and scrub and everything, even though they were doing that at work. She'd do it again, and yeah, well, yeah. So it was it was very very a high high level of control, but also like a, a paranoia nearly. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's a it's a good paranoia as well. Yeah, it's the safety system, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine that she's a bit of a stressor anyway, from what I know. So I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine they'd be ramped up a little. And then she was. Like she was, she was also worried about exposing people like you, you and Ellie, and 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 Georgia, and, Georgia yeah, exactly. and and then Dean and Tracy in the neighbourhood, and and all her friends, like yep. all her friends that don't work at the hospital, which isn't isn't many at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seeing as the borders are still shut, and yeah, I yep. mean she was, and and she became very introverted over that time because she was so worried about exposing people in the community and people. In our in our area, yeah, yeah, like in our immediate circle. So I know we um we definitely seen a lot less of her. Before, yeah, especially before her birthday. Yeah, and, um, and we knew that was the case. We sort of knew that she was a bit standoffish, and that's understandable. Yeah, yeah, and she's and she's still like they still get the occasional COVID patient they work on, and she's still incredibly worried about it. But I mean, she hasn't been in direct contact with them. Yeah, so she's been the the in between person for one of them so one of the practices she told me about was they have the people who get sealed in the room with the patient uh, classes the dirty dirty um, team and then they got 
a team in like a kind of like a middle room and the, their class is a semi-dirty team and then they've got the clean, the clean person on the outside of that room. Okay. So that clean person will go get any anything they need yep. that hasn't been brought in already, pass it to the semi-dirty person, the semi-dirty person will pass it to the dirty person. Wow. So it was a very high level of kind of control. control. Yeah, that's good. And and it's exactly what you want to hear in those situations, but... Yeah, you don't think about that as being a civvy. No. You don't think about the um, lengths that you have to go to. No, and I mean, when, they, when they're talking about that, like, if they needed an emergency drug, like, to reverse, reverse the anesthesia or to, I mean, they've got plenty of, plenty of stuff there, but they've, if they needed something in an emergency situation, it's a lot of, kind of, time to sit there and pass it down the, down the line. Yeah, yeah, so, even just to get a message through, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How do you think, um, what do you think of the whole COVID thing? Do you think it was over, overplayed or, um, no. No. no, so everything I've been like, I remember sitting there on Ra- one of Rachel's Ross's days off, and we're, we're sitting there watching a movie, and she ended up having to turn her phone off. She ended up getting twelve emails before twelve o'clock that day, and it's just constant updates and talking about the mutations, and the possibilities, and the numbers they were running, and they reckon it's not over yet. So yeah. They reckon the the second wave will come, yeah. Um, especially with the all the protests and all the and everything that's going on. I refer to that as natural selection, but um, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to a protest at this point in time, you got rocks in your head. There's yeah, like understand if you're upset about something, but find another way. Yep. Um, there are ways and means of doing it, and even lobbying the members of parliament doing what you got to do. Yep. Um, well, one of the one of the pe- people that are at a very high risk of um, death of COVID are, are the Aboriginal people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why you can't go to the Cape at the moment. Yeah. Um, all and those uh, places in Central Australia were pretty much isolated yep. purely because of that reason. Yep. And then they did. Yeah. And and talking to Rachel and her friends and, and I dare say Ellie probably has talked about it as well is that if it even gets to being out there it'll, it'll run through the population yeah. like no tomorrow and and the deaths will be huge and they don't they don't have the facilities out there to cope no so they they barely had the facilities in the cities for the numbers they were, they were expecting yeah if people didn't follow the rules then they and then we could have been like america yeah we'd be in total anarchy <laughs> yeah that's it that's yeah as i say a polite way of putting it is um natural selection, natural selection. <laughs> yeah it's um yeah uh, yeah, I, in, I wonder if these are the same people that, that believe that COVID was nothing but a flu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually the 5G towers. Oh, yeah, that too. Um, yeah, the 5G towers. Yeah. <laughs> we're, un, we're unlucky then because we've got a 5G tower down the road from us. Yeah, well, it's not so much us men that have to worry. It's more the females. It's, um, yeah. it's to control their menstrual cycles. Yeah. And then by controlling their menstrual cycles, you can dictate what the economy does because you control when they go to work when they don't so that's essentially <laughs> what a COVID actually is oh yeah right but, um, yeah that's just for the people in the know mainly I thought I thought that would have been Zika Zika <laughs> 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 but um and I, I yeah apparently yeah yeah um yeah I think uh, protest all you want well it's not even protest but do it's a difference sen- yeah. be sensible 
Common sense, that's all it is. Yeah, that's it. I got I got nothing against people who want to stop racism. There's nothing wrong with that. No. But um and then identifying what racism is, it's a whole nother freaking kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah, there's um, and I think I think there's also going to be a difference between racism and satire. Like yeah. I I've seen that the Chris Lilly um has been removed from Netflix. I I have friends that that watch that and yeah. you know, he pulls the piss out of everyone. He pulls the piss out of teenage white girls. Yeah. And you know, they've Yeah, you don't it's just satire. Yeah, like, that's it. I think um it's this offended uh what's the word for it? Uh offended culture or um Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's uh it's like being rewarded to be the victim. Yeah, that's what's the problem with this beast gets portrayed these days, and um, in, in our culture, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's very unfortunate, but that's ah, stupid. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah, isn't it? and you can't say that anymore. You can't tell people that's you're dumb. you're being being fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Pull your head in. Um, the way I look at it is, if you're a racist, you hate every black person, every fucking coloured person, whatever yep. it is, or anything that's not what you are. Yep. It doesn't mean that you're white and you hate blacks. Yeah. It could mean that you're black and you hate whites. It could mean that you're yellow and you hate blacks and whites. It could mean that yep. anything in between. Yep. But, and then you hate all of them. I think the difference is when you take someone... You know you're not a racist when you take someone on face value. Yeah. Everybody is their own person. And if you can do that, then you're not a racist. Yeah. If you don't like someone who's black or you don't like who someone who's white or you don't like someone who does dumb shit all the time... It's not because of the colour of their skin. It's because they do dumb shit all the time. Yep. You just don't like them. It's just how it is. Like, yep. And if you don't like them, like them because your, your personalities don't match, then that's... That's, that's an, Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you can't force someone to like everyone. No, that's it. That's and, it. you know, I've, I've had plenty of people I don't like and got plenty of people that don't like me. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> I, don't, it. I don't care what they, what they think. Yeah. Like, people shouldn't care what I think. No. Because, I mean, let's say... Gonna like you. Let's say you, you like... You like someone better than I do. I'm not going to judge you for being their friend, mm. and I think that's the way it should be. But yep, way things should be and the way things are are two different things, aren't they? Yeah, that's it, mate. I think um, the two of the, the opinions of two uh, white, straight, middle-aged fucking men <laughs> are very low on the ranks these days. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I, I think, don't think I, anyone's going to be too surprised. No, but but I mean, there's there's quite a few. It's not a reason to riot either. No. And I mean, I'm, I'm dreading the day that, you know, something happens here and, and people decide to riot. Yeah. And I mean... Oh, if, if everyone keeps jumping on the bandwagon, yep. like they are at the moment, that's what'll head. But um, I think, yeah, even in America, you know, they probably do... I don't know if they do or not. They, by the sounds of it, from the exposure that we get in Australia... Um, it sounds like they've got a racism problem, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. don't have that problem in Australia, I don't believe. Or maybe even just a police state problem. Uh, yeah, like, you know, probably even a training problem. Yep. Um, yep. It's, there's a lot of things going on. And, like, old mate who got shot, I think, today or yesterday. Oh, yeah, the guy um, in the, the white guy in the hotel you're talking about? No, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's a black fella. Um, he got pulled over in a servo. He fell asleep in a, ser- in a um, drive-thru for Wendy's. And the cops were called. They come and breath aid him or did their sobriety test. Yep. He failed the sobriety test. They went to. A, they tried to arrest him. They got in a scuffle. He stole a taser off one of them. Run away while trying to shoot the taser at one of them and then got shot by a police officer. Yeah, right. Dies. 
all of a and sudden. Then, it, and then that a, compounds, and that's a racism issue. But that's a, I'd, I'd say that is a safety issue more than anything. Yeah, and that's, I don't think it would have mattered what colour his skin was, he would have got shot. <laughs> you <laughs> no. fight with police, steal their taser, and try to shoot them with it, you're going to get shot. That's yeah. pretty much the bottom line. Play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Yeah, that's it, that's it. So, uh, uh, it's just crazy, but um, that's it. <sighs> What we have here in Australia is a lot different. We don't have those issues. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, there is there is issues in Australia, and I think um, I think a lot of them are to do with more domestic violence than than police violence at the moment. Um, you know, we've we've watched quite a few domestic violence cases be publicised here, um, and reading some statistics um, through uh, one of the Australian government agencies and seeing that there is a lot more uh, deaths by domestic violence than there is from being in police custody. Yep. And that was from the Royal Commission in 2016. Yeah, well, it's a yeah, fact that more whites <laughs> die in custody than blacks. Yeah. Even yeah. though 70% or 60% more higher arrests and in custody are blacks. Yes. So proportionally, it's out of control. Not yeah. to mention that 70% of all crime committed by Aboriginals are DV. Yeah. So that's where the real issues are. It's not, uh, it's, yeah, it's not a race vision issue. No. It's a responsibility issue. Yeah. People not taking responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, once again, coming from two white dudes, so. Yeah. No one's going to give a fuck. <laughs> no. No, no one's going no to care about, care about this opinion, but. Yes. Or, or if they do, we'll be the ones. Getting, getting, oh yeah, we'll be me too. We'll be we'll be strung up soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be locked up in our houses. Yeah, that's it. That's it. No, but oh yeah, look, you know, I've I know people who've lived through domestic violence, and you know, it happens in a lot of different different types of household, yeah, households. Right. But I think that's I think that's probably a more pertinent issue that should be looked at here in Australia than the race issue with the police, like over in America. Yeah. If people want to protest anything, they should be protesting that and the education um, difference with the with the domestic violence. Yeah. So you know it could be an, it could be an, a lack of education in the fact that um, it might have might been like it was all right to not all right, but it was wasn't frowned upon as much. You know, 40, 50 years ago, if you beat, if you your, wife. beat your wife, yeah. like yeah. Like I don't agree with it. You don't. You don't agree with no, it. We were brought up differently. Yeah. And so were they. Yeah. And as you know, as we mature as a society, as a nation, um, we grow. You know, we learn these lessons, and yep. Um, individuals obviously don't. Yep. At some point, but as a greater, you'd think we would. We do. Yeah. Um, I know quite a few police officers, and I'm sure you do too, from your time in defence. That it seems to be a, a very large area of where our guys go um, after they discharge they, they yep. seem to move into the police force yep. and and a lot of them they they seem to be more more terrified of, of trying to fight off the, the white guys at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah methods yeah. yeah that's it the way I always put it is there's just as many dead shit white people out there as there is dead shit black people out there yeah so call me a racist I don't know, I don't know what you'd call me no. But um, I don't think racist is the right word. I'm sure bigot, uh, maybe arrogant, ignorant, whatever you want, but I don't think racist is the right word. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I've, 
I've been accused of, of being being racist before because of the same thing. Like I've I've said, you know, there's there's bad bad I've had dealings with bad black people, you know, they've chased me down the road with with star pickets, but then I've also been held at knife point by with by white guys as well. So yeah. you know, and it's been in probably probably the equal equal proportion. Yeah. And that's where I draw my experiences from as well. So Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, Dan. Uh, it's been good to have you on, mate. No, thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, we'll call that an end to our the first podcast. Excellent. All right.